This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. Uh, this is the Bite Size Business Breakfast, best bits from Wednesday, December the 13th, where we caught up with Lewis Allsop, uh, the Chief Executive Officer of the eponymous Allsop and Allsop. Uh, we talked all things real estate uh, because Lewis has seen a little bit of a change in the market. Uh, he has seen Dubai turning into a landlord's market as uh, rentals have surged 100 and 30% in 2023. Uh, so we wanted to get his take on those numbers. So look back at 23 also and a look ahead to 24 with Lewis. Scott Livermore was doing something similar, albeit with GDP. Scott's the ICAEW Economic Advisor and Chief Economist and MD at Oxford Economics Middle East. He's got those latest ICAEW reports in front of him, uh, looking at the UAE and the wider GCC giving us a little overview of where GDP is going to finish up, where it's going to wash up at the end of 2023, and a few predictions moving into 2024 of some of the pressures that could impact both negatively and positively on GDP. In fact, it was the morning predictions because Trevor Murphy was also in. He's founder and CEO of Cooper Fitch. They look at the recruitment market out there. And one thing that they have seen is that bonus payouts for 2023 are up, but not for everyone. 70% of organisations in the UA can expect a bonus payout at the end of the financial year of two months bank salary. Nice for those that get it as well. Uh, That's an indication of just how buoyant the job market is at the moment here in the UAE. Again, it's been one of the talkers of 23. But looking ahead to 24, will the momentum continue? Plus, big focus on all things COP28. We thought... We were done with it. That's certainly why we weren't broadcasting from there this morning. However, COP28 has run over. It's gone into extra time. It's gone into an extra day of negotiations as they push for a deal and agreement. We had a little look at uh, some of the new draft narrative and text that came out whilst we were on air. Uh, And of course, it was a big focus on all things COP28. That's just a few of the talkers uh, right here uh, on the Bite Size Business Breakfast podcast for Wednesday, December the 13th. Interesting looking up at the uh, panel of TV screens behind us here in the studio, uh, where the majority of them are um, all focused on Dubai, uh, because obviously COP28 has rolled into overtime. uh, And we are getting more and more details coming through. People are pouring over the text that is coming out of the COP28 event uh, down at Expo City. Uh, Brandy's been looking at some of the small print as well. What's it tell us? Uh, The the phrase that everyone's talking about this morning is transitioning away. Hmm. Uh, That's the new phase out, phase down. That is the firmed up language. Um, from sort of uh, choosing uh, and reducing, if you like. The question this morning is going to be whether it is firm enough. Bloomberg's done quite a bit um, on reaction to this. Uh, Some of the reaction so far, including from the US climate envoy, John Kerry, has been positive. Is it enough? Is it too late? Uh, we will find out. So, mark our card. What's what's happening today? Uh, so today is negotiations. We know that negotiations last night were expected to go on till about three a.m. in the morning. We know that there were special shuttle buses laid on after the metro finished um, at midnight till five a.m. this morning um, for those delegates. Interestingly, those buses are going to be laid on again 
um, tonight uh, until 5am. So I don't know if that signifies that we're expecting uh, negotiations to keep going. We're expecting a plenary session uh, for about 9.30 this morning. Let's see what comes out of it. So... All eyes on COP28. Uh, Brandy is keeping an eye on things there. Got sources on the ground uh, up on site as well. We've got the latest draft text in front of us. A lot of people going through that as we speak. Uh, we spoke to Dina L. Story a little earlier on, senior partner, MAFRA advisors, executive advisor, subject matter expert, climate change and sustainability, and also the former director of sustainability operations at Expo 2020 Dubai. So she knows her way around the site, that's for sure. In fact, she's been spending the majority of her time at the site. Um, we were conscious of the fact that negotiations are still ongoing, but wanted to know from Dina uh, her key takeaways for COP28. I think what we see is uh, not only commitments, but actions. I'll give you an example when we talk about the agriculture, sustainable agriculture, food security declaration that Her Excellency uh, Maryam El Meheri uh, announced. We have 158 countries so far that have actually signed on to this agreement. That means $7.1 billion in food security. 30 more countries signed on to the water challenge, which was declared a few years back. That means we're actually moving forward to secure 30% of our water sources by 2030. So that's a big, big deal because that is uh, the focus on food security, water security, that really is precedented. I know we're talking about the language and I know we're talking about phase out or removal and all of these semantics that we're talking about. But the reality is there are things that we have to do in the meantime. I think climate um, mitigation is important, but adaptation is what we have to focus on at this moment in time, because the person who is sitting in a vulnerable area like the like like some of our children. And by the way, UNICEF said uh, one billion children, that's one billion children are vulnerable because of climate change mm. right now. So our focus needs to be on adaptation at this moment in time and mitigation as we move, move through the lingo. And I think the words are important. Phase down and phase out are important. But the bigger picture is what are the commitments that all countries are making towards the more vulnerable countries. Yes, they are semantics, but I, I feel that this COP is a COP for action and delivery. And therefore, the semantics will come in time and have to be an agreement by the whole world. This isn't the UAE making those semantics. This is the world coming together to create those these languages that make a difference in the future. Ostina L's story giving us her thoughts on all things COP28. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast, exclusively on DubaiEye1038.com. Fascinating salary survey coming up from the guys at Cooper Fitch. It is that time of the year. Uh, the recruitment and headhunting company has released its 2024 wage report, and we have the founder and the CEO, Trevor Murphy, to go through it with us. Trev, good morning. Good morning, Brandy. Before we dig into the 2024 numbers, and I have questions, remind us what we saw in salaries in the UAE in 2023. So we saw a reasonably good increase, about 3%, 3.5% as an average in 2023. There was lots of outliers in that. Some did not move salaries at all, um, and some were significantly ahead of that, up to, you know, mid-double digits, you know, 12 14%. 
which is what I want to question you about for this year. So you've spoken to more than a thousand companies. The average that they've said um, they will be providing uh, their employees with when it comes to salary rises is? Four and a half percent, yeah. But there is quite a spread in this. Talk to me first off about the top end. So the top end is probably getting very interesting. You know, we're seeing uh, a number of organisations increasing above 10 percent, um, uh, just under 10 percent, you know, between five and 10 percent. Uh, so very healthy. Um, typically, we're seeing um, where there's a shortage of skills that are required. So a lot in the tech space, a lot in the strategy and general consulting space as well, uh, paying over odds. And in the UE specifically, with a resurgent real estate market, you know, quite a significant improvement in salaries in that area as well. So that's at the high end, yeah. but we've got a quarter that is looking to hold. Yeah, it's, it's, it's actually quite unusual um, uh, that we see that size of percentage has been bigger than the last number of years. Um, Look, I think you you have a number of factors there um, at the holding and reducing levels, I think. But at the holding levels first, maybe we're probably seeing organisations that have had increases over the last number of years and they feel that they're at market levels at the moment, um, whether that is the case or not. But there's certainly quite a large percentage not going to increase salaries for next year. And we've got about a fifth, so that's still 20-odd percent. 21%, yeah. Saying they're going to lower them. Yes, this is this is terribly unusual. But look, I, I think in a, in, in a general market position, you've probably got in an overall employment market of a, of a, of a city like Dubai or, or an emirate like the UAE, you would have lots of organisations that are struggling uh, because of their market position, because their product or service is not competing well in market. Um but it's a it's a it's a worrying outlook that there are organisations that want to actually reduce salaries next year. Okay, I have questions about this. Yeah. Firstly, how can you do that legally? Well, um, I, without consent, it's absolutely illegal. Uh, with consent, there are maybe some wriggle room there. I would suspect that this would be for uh, organisations that are hiring new people in rather than just blanketly um, reducing salaries uh, across the workforce at the moment. How are we at a place where 20% of respondents have said to you, yeah, we're going to look to lower salaries or hire people on less money at a time when it feels like on the ground the economy is booming? How do those two things sit together? Yeah, for those organisations that are attempting, are, are not going to even increase salaries this year, they're going to struggle. They're probably already in that position already, um, you know, indicatively. So, you know, with a, with a, I'm, I'm not going to say there's a kind of a, you know, the, the term that recruitment or search firms use that there's a war on talent. I don't think we're there just yet, but they will certainly struggle to retain uh, staff that they really need to retain to keep businesses going. So it's going to be a more difficult period for them. Um, we see, you know, recruitment numbers are way up, uh, way up above uh, pre-COVID levels in across the UAE. So they're going to really struggle to keep business going and retain the talent that they need to retain. Are you suggesting, though, that they have no other choice? In some cases, yeah, I think I think it comes down to that because if they're doing well in market, um, you know, you know, with numbers, revenue numbers, or you bit the numbers good, 
you know, of course they want to retain, they want to grow and want to hire new people in and hire better talent in and they want to retain the talent that they've built up. What are you expecting to see in terms of the discretionary stuff, bonuses and allowances? Yeah, so pretty healthy, I think, on the overall. Um, about, uh, I think about 73% of organisations in the UE are looking to pay out uh, bonuses and, and slightly higher in Saudi Arabia. Who's getting them? Well, 70, nearly 75% of us, hopefully. Um, so, uh, look, I think, I think it's, probably, um, it's probably across, you know, I don't think it's industry specific. You know, it really is organisations doing well. They want to retain their people. Others are paying bonuses. So there's a lot of pressure to make sure bonus pools are being paid at. So I think it's, I think it's across the board. There are some, you know, consulting firms have had, an, had a bumper year, um, you know, real estate organizations have had a bumper year. A lot of um, technology organizations, not all of them, but a lot of them have really have really had a good year. So they're going to really look at paying out good bonuses this year. You mentioned Saudi and you've also got here that you are expecting to see the highest ever increase in Saudi salaries. Talk to me about that. Yeah, 6.2% is an average. is phenomenal. You know, we've, we've never seen um, that kind of number before. I think the highest was maybe 85% um, in previous years. Um, Saudi is a, is a phenomenal and insatiable demand for talent at the moment, um, uh, based specifically in Riyadh, uh, but also across across some of the more remote projects that are happening. So, yeah, six point two percent is an exceptionally healthy number. What does that wage rise compared to to what you're predicting to see in the UAE um, mean for people's ability to poach talent? Um, that again, so that that's an average of averages. That's six point two percent. We are seeing um, talent being poached fifteen, twenty, twenty five, thirty percent ahead of. Uh, even in-country market levels. Um, the demand for, um, you know, uh, really good uh, Saudi talent, at, you know, chief level, CFO, CEO, uh, chief shared services officer level is way above that. So the 6.2% is kind of like an indicative average of everything, but the, the actual numbers from poaching-wise um, and attracting talent is significantly ahead of that. Okay, we've got about a minute and a half left with you. What are you seeing in terms of supply and demand at the moment? We've spoken before about the number of people coming here without jobs um, yeah. to uh, to hunt for them. Where are we at the moment on that? Well, last week I think it was it's a very good. And if you just look at the traffic and the amount of people that are in Dubai specifically at the moment, it's um, I've been here for twelve years. I don't I don't re- remember it being like this before. But the amount of people that want to come here or are coming here or planning to come here is way up. Um, applications for jobs in the last quarter are up by 30, 40 percent. It is a phenomenal um, indicator of how attractive the UE is a place to come to. Thank you very much for sharing those numbers with us. The founder and CEO of Cooper Fitch, uh, Trevor Murphy, with their incredibly interesting salary survey indeed. A average rise of 4.5% uh, salary rise here in the UAE, 6.2% he's predicting for next year for Saudi, which is the highest for them that they've seen so far. Catch up on the business headlines with the Bite Size Business Breakfast. Latest outlooks uh, for, well, let us look back at 23, but outlooks for 24 from the ICAE. 
IEEW, that's the Institute of Chartered Accountants in England and Wales. For the region here, the outlooks, that is, are, are out. Uh, and to give us a little bit of an insight into that, we've got the ICAEW Economic Advisor, but it's also the Chief Economist and the MD of Oxford Economics Middle East. Scott Livermore joining us live in studio for one last hurrah for 2023. Scott, good to see you as always. Good morning. Pleasure to be here. Um, is it too early to say Happy New Year in advance? Probably not. I won't see you before then, will I? No, I think it's good to go. <laughs> Take it. <laughs> uh, right, let's have a look at the numbers because they've been crunched by you and the good team at Oxford Economics. Um, uh, GCC's non-energy sectors uh, will be driving GDP expansion in 2024. Let's talk GDP. Before we move to 24, let's look at 2023. When all is done and dusted at the end of the year, will it be a good year for GDP? I think at the aggregate, the whole of GDP, the growth in the region has probably come in slightly weaker than expected. That's predominantly related to OPEC Plus, where OPEC's been trying to support the oil market. Production's weaker than we expected, and that means growth in the GCC be about 0.7%, in UAE, 2.5%. But that does mask a really quite strong performance from the non-oil sector, and for non-oil GDP, that could expand by 5% in the UAE. So non-oil really good. Oil sector means the overall GDP growth is probably weaker than we were expecting a year ago. Yeah, and that seemed to be backed up by the S&P uh, PMI numbers that came out yesterday as well. Non-oil seems to have been one of the, the big talks of town this year. Absolutely. You had really strong data for the first half of the year, which is all what we've got so far. Double-digit growth for the non-oil sector in Abu Dhabi for Q2. And if you track the PMI, it suggests a similar momentum has been maintained in the second half of the year. And that bodes well looking into 2024. So let's do that. Let's get our crystal ball out, if we can, for 2024. Where's, where's the oil sector? How much, of a sort of, how much of a needle is that going to move next year, 2024? So we're going to see a positive contribution from the oil sector. We've seen in recent meetings that cuts are being extended um, and oil sector is likely to be lacklustre in the first half of the year. But if you combine a pickup during the course of the year, oil, oil production quotas for OPEC eased somewhat. We have a slight lift in the UAE from a revision of uh, production quotas. Then there'd be a positive contribution to growth. Uh, from the oil sector. But as our report highlights, it's still the non-oil sector that's really the momentum, the impulse for our overall economy next year. That question mark around OPEC Plus at the moment and this sort of, again, indecision or extension of production cuts at the moment, uh, little people looking to the markets, looking for a little bit of guidance at the moment. Is that likely to slow? Or again, given the fact that we're coming into that, we're in the midst of that winter season, the northern hemisphere, there's always going to be demand. Well, I, I think the, it's clear at the moment that OPEC Plus is tr struggling to control supply. Yeah. Um, and against the backdrop of concerns about the growth outlook in China and the rest of the world, that means the oil market is likely to be under pressure. And therefore, we expect Saudi to maintain their voluntary cuts well into uh, next year. OPEC Plus tried to have some voluntary uh, additional cuts, which haven't gone down too well in the markets, which may suggest that further cuts and stronger cuts will be needed uh, in the first part of 2024. But as the global economy comes out the other side in the second half of next year, we expect the market to firm 
prices to become a bit more solid and production to start to increase across the GCC. What else might weigh onto that? What about interest rates? That's been a big talker for this year. What's the outlook for 24? Well, I think one thing we probably can all agree, further hikes aren't on the table, <laughs> uh, and it becomes a question of how long are interest rates on hold. Um, the markets seem to be pricing in a cut around spring. Our view is that interest rates are likely to be on hold, so the Federal Reserve keep interest rates on hold until the second half of next year. We think core inflation is going to be a little bit stubborn, higher than the Fed likes. The labour market remains strong, and they're likely to be a little bit reticent about cutting rates early next year, and then when rates start to move, they'll come down slowly, which clearly plays over to what central banks in the region will do. Are we done with inflation? Inflation be gone? Or is, again, that's something we're going to have to tackle with? Um, I think inflation is lower than we've become accustomed to last year. I think there's a significant risk that inflation in Dubai, in the UAE, in the region, may have temporarily troughed. Mm -hmm. We've seen inflation figures tick up in Dubai. Um, Oil and energy prices are less of a downward pressure. And it's likely, even if oil prices stay where they are, that leads to... Um, a positive dynamic. Energy prices contributed positively to inflation in November for the first time in February. That's likely to continue. And a consequence of the strong growth we're seeing here is continued pressure from the real estate market, which will keep inflation slightly higher than we had become accustomed, but as I say, lower than we were used to in 2022. Non-oil certainly seems to be the story. We've got 30 seconds left with you. Dubai the same as the GCC or a bit of an outlier? UAE is expected to be a leader um, across the region. We've got strong travel and tourism that has continued to grow well. Populations increasing um, and all those sectors dependent on people, be it retail, real estate, by construction. And they continue to drive and keep a very positive outlook for the region, for the UAE. Looking forward to it. We'll definitely be seeing you in 2024, Scott. Don't think we'll see you uh, in the remainder of 2023 as you're off on your travels. But bless you. Thanks so much Pleasure. indeed. Not early. just for today, but for uh, all your help throughout the year as well. Pleasure. Always a joy to come in. Scott Livermore is ICAEW Economic Advisor. He's also the Chief Economist and Managing Director of Oxford Economics here in the Middle East. Big thanks to he. Just the highlights. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast. All right. Three reports full of numbers and a draft cop text with some content words for you this morning. More on that to come. Um, but let's look at one of those data sets, Allsop and Allsop, just publishing their November view of the market. And it's a report we like because as well as the usual land department data, uh, they give us an insight into what they are seeing and doing on the ground. Uh, and for November, we have some interesting disconnects. I'm very pleased to be joined this morning by the CEO, Lewis Allsop. Lewis, good morning. Thanks for joining us. Morning, Brandy. Is it too early to say Merry Christmas? Or It is never too early, Lewis. <laughs> Let's have a look at what you guys are seeing and doing, because it's really interesting for November, and we'll start with sales. We talk about undersupply in the market, but you've had a 21% rise in listings month on month. Where have they all come from? Uh, I think the two things to look at, you said at the start before, you've got your land department data, uh, which is a very generic view of the property market. But then when you take a deep dive into the market, our data will give you a key indicator of what's going on. So the rise in listings, there's a lot more sellers coming to market and there's a lot more sellers actually staying on the market longer. Um, This falls down to the fact that people are asking prices are above the transactional prices. 
Yeah, and this is this interesting disconnect number one. You've got a 53% mm. rise in buyer registrations, but only a yeah. 12% rise in viewers. Do sellers just Correct. want too much? Yeah, I mean, this has been the market. There's been how many properties I've seen that have sold above what I think they should have sold for. Um, and it's happened a lot. And what that's done is push the prices of the of the properties, the neighboring properties up. And we have our data platform, Data Hub, by also from Umsut, where you can see the transactions of every sold data uh, property on the market. People are now using this to do transactions. I think anyone listening to this, the key takeaway is there is a marketing price and a sales price. And a lot of people are now chasing the sales price over the marketing price. What's the spread between the two? What's this? Oh, it could be 10, 15 percent. Um, it could be more. I mean, th- there's been such variation of properties that, it, you know, that is the minimum level. But buyers are becoming a lot more aware. The best way to describe it is buyers have now got the brakes on and they're taking their time to pick, pick and choose the properties. But they are buying. Are sellers willing to adjust? How long is that kind of mental recalibration taking? It takes months, Brandy. I mean, our job is to take the unit on. We'd advise them with the price, but then they would give us the price they think. Uh, we would sign them up, and then over the weeks, we would show them we've had no viewings, we've had no listings, and we would talk to them about sold properties in their street, in their area. And the job is it's education. When the market is how it's been, it's understandable for sellers to get carried away, but I think they clock onto it when they're not able to sell their property a few months later when they found their new home. Well, let's look at disconnect number two in your report, and it's to do yeah. with... Rents. We've got 110% rise in new tenants, 91% more listings, 99% more viewings, and yet less than 10% new signings. What's the bigger picture there? So the bigger picture is obviously anyone that drives knows that the streets are just crazy. I think I've just seen Hester Street have just announced they're extending their roads and business bay where I go to every day is crazy. There's more people coming here than ever. But what we're finding with the numbers is, yes, we're taking on more properties, there's more handovers, but people are actually renegotiating their rent to the 20% maximum they can and try and stay in their property longer. Because if they're kicked out, you know, you could be paying 40, 50 or 100% more than what you were signed up for three or four years ago. So uh, there's a lot of people looking at options, but trying to stay in where they are. That 110% rise in new tenants, have you got any insight or any just gut feeling into what the split is between those who are new to Dubai and those who are moving or being forced to move within the city? About 75% of the people that are with us are already in Dubai. 25% are new. But I mean, you know, it's it's big volume. There's, there's, I said it a minute ago, but there is so many people and so much talent around the world coming here at the moment. The pressure is not on the property prices, it's on the pre- the rental prices as well. It's just, there's just not enough houses being built, Randy. I mean, I looked at the data, there's, there's 50,000 houses going to hand over this year. There's 100,000 residents. And the launches that everyone's talking about, when are they going to hand over? So the, the pressure is continuously going to be there for at least three years. With this 91% rise in, in listings, again, gut mm. feeling, what do you think we're seeing in terms of newly purchased and possibly recently vacated properties, people who have been told they have to vacate because of the sale? So that works out to around 85% of all of our transactions. So, I mean, there's many factors. It could be they've been kicked out, the owner's moved into it, or the tenants have moved on to a new property. The 15% of our properties are new, uh, 85 are uh, recently vacated and ready for the, the new tenant. Are landlords getting the prices that they want? They are now. Um, but I mean, again, we had the same thing with speculative landlords. We couldn't speculative sellers, speculative landlords. They're putting it 25% above market value, 20% hoping to get it. 
Um, and that has now stopped because, again, people are using the data um, to their benefit. So now they're getting what is the market value, which is healthy for Dubai. So 30 seconds, Lewis. What do you expect yeah. to happen? Do you expect sellers and landlords to become more moderate in their prices or this disconnect to continue? No, they're naturally being reduced at the moment to sales prices. And the big takeaway is property prices are not going down. Property prices will continue to go up, but the marketing price will reach the sales price, which is the healthy type of property market we want to be in where realistic prices are being met. Uh, Lewis Allsop, CEO of Allsop and Allsop, talking us through what they have seen on the ground in November, which is quite the disconnect uh, between what sellers want and occasionally what they're actually settling for. Thank you so much for your time this morning. You've been listening to a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. To enjoy lots more from Dubai Eye in the United Arab Emirates, just go to DubaiEye1038.com or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts.